Coming up on Stu Does America, we are live from Dallas covering the latest in Washington, D.C. and the riot that broke out and led to intruders in the Capitol building this afternoon. What country is this? We'll be talking with some great guests who have a lot of insight to give. So let's get right to it and do the D.C. riot. Stu Does America. <laughs> well, this is going well, isn't it? Remember just a few days ago, we were like, ah, oh, finally, 2020 is over. <laughs> we can finally get on with 2021 when everything will be wonderful. Well, it's going well so far, isn't it? Uh, what a day. Uh, people broke in after the, uh, the rally in Washington, D.C. People overwhelmed the police and went in to the Capitol building today. I'm sure you saw all the, all the footage. To be very, very clear here, what we saw today was a national disgrace. Period. It is that ridiculous. This is the United States of America. We don't rush our Capitol building for any reason. Now, there's a larger point to be made here, and it's important to do so because this is not who we are on the right. This is who they are. We've seen this over and over again. This is who they are, not us. This is who they are and have been for a very long time. You, know, you watch the news tonight, you're going to see a lot of people very upset about people rushing the Capitol building. I'm one of them. I don't, you shouldn't do that. I think we're all pretty aware of that. However, the news wasn't all that aware of it back in 2011 when uh, protesters, quote unquote protesters, rushed and occupied for many, many days the state house in Wisconsin. I mean, do you remember how many people were there? In Wisconsin, in the state house, lots. I don't know if we have the picture, but there was tons of them. There it is. Look at it. It's like thousands of people inside the state house. And they were there for weeks all over the budget repair bill, which I know is a really passionate cause. The budget repair bill. This is not a good day. This is one of the worst days that I can remember. And gosh, they all seem to be really recent. <laughs> Oh, my whole list of worst days seem to be coming in the last year or two. Uh, this is a really, a really bad thing. It's important to understand who is responsible for it. Just like when we talked about the Black Lives Matter protests, we made the point many, many times. There were lots of Black Lives Matter protests where absolutely nothing bad happened. Tons of them. I had mul multiple BLM protests in my town and in my area where nothing happened. But there were really bad protests. And even in those days where there were really bad protests. We had people who were there who would tell you there'd be thousands of people who did nothing wrong, and then there'd be hundreds that would do a lot of things wrong. And those are the people we were talking about when we were talking about uh, the violence. The same thing applies here in, in Washington, D.C. There's tons of people. You might be one of them. You might have been there. You might have been walking down the street, holding a sign, upset, fighting for what you believe is right. That doesn't mean entering the Capitol Police. It doesn't mean throwing things at police officers. It doesn't mean violence. It doesn't mean uh, crimes. I mean, the people who broke into the Capitol building committed crimes, criminals. They should be prosecuted. A lot of them are on tape. In fact, a lot of them recorded themselves on their own phones. We know the people, there's several that are familiar to, uh, to you, if you kind of know a decent amount about this particular arena, uh, alt-right types that were in there, uh, internet personalities that were in there. You know, uh, obviously you set aside people like journalists and police officers and, and others like that, but there's some in there that should really actually be committing, uh, they, they committed crimes and they should be prosecuted for it. Um, 
there's this point going around about how there's this double standard. You know, people on the left are saying, oh, well, BLM has these protests. And then uh, they, there's cops everywhere. And there's nobody there for, for the police. We're going to get for the, for the uh, Trump uh, ralliers. Well, you know, there's not a history of violence there, right? Police, I think, prepare themselves for what they expect to happen. And this has not happened before. But it shouldn't happen. And it should not happen again. There's a lot around that. We're going to get into the security aspects of this uh, in just in just a minute as well. I, I, I just I think we have to step back and understand where we are in this country right now. I mean, I, did you ever think you'd see scenes like you saw today? I, I mean, I, I I can't I cannot believe that stuff is happening in this country. It is not. We, we're going to get into a lot of the side stuff. The media coverage was, of course, ridiculous. All of that going on. But the base point here is that the people who did these things. I mean, a woman got inside and was shot and is dead. It's dead over this. Uh, it's incomprehensible that the actions taken by the few of the many, few, few people out of the thousands and thousands and thousands that were there. It's important to keep pointing that out. But those people not only were, were, deserve every bit of legal punishment they run, them, where they run into, but also were a national disgrace today. We're going to get into what happened with the reaction to it, which was perplexing uh, from the uh, from the police and security. How did all this happen and what's going to be coming up next? We'll go there uh, in just a minute. Uh, Stu does America. You can uh, follow us on YouTube, of course, and uh, just search for Stu. We'll be the first channel there or subscribe at blazetv.com slash Stu. Promo code is Stu. Back in a second. This is a good day to tell you about tasers. <laughs> I'm just telling you, tasers line of non-lethal self-protection devices are small and lightweight enough to carry with you in your glove compartment or your purse. Yet they're powerful enough to incapacitate an attacker. Let's just say you're in a crazy crowd of people, some of them acting very strangely. Well, you can use a taser and you can use them legally all over the country. Taser devices come loaded with features like laser-assisted targeting and emergency dispatch. We'll send response uh, teams to your GPS location. Protect yourself and your family with Taser's line of smart self-defense products. Taser is available without a permit in most U.S. states. You can get the Taser Pulse Plus or the Taser Strike Light at taser.com with the promo code STU. Save 15% now at taser.com, promo code STU, T-A-S-E-R.com, promo code Code Stu. Restrictions apply. See site for details. All right, you should know that they're back uh, debating all this stuff again. Things are coming back together a little bit in Washington, D.C. We'll get into that here in just a minute. Now joined by threat management expert Spencer Corson. He's the founder of Corson Security Group and the author of the upcoming book, The Safety Trap. A security expert's secrets for staying safe in a dangerous world is coming out in May. Make sure you pick it up. Spencer, thanks for coming on the program. My pleasure, Stu. Great to be with you. Thanks. Uh, I, I want to start with the, the question I think every dolt like me has that looks at this stuff today. There's a giant riot go, uh, rally going on. People are very excited. They're very frustrated. The Capitol building's within walking distance. Why do they not seem to be at all prepared for something bad to happen? Well, I think what you're going to see is that a lot of legislators who were, uh, you know, forced to shelter in place today, who were scared, who were worried about, you know, the, the rioters who were outside the door, 
are going to go home tonight and come to a stark realization that, you know, how they believe they were being protected is not at all in line with the, the protections that were being provided. And some of them might realize, oh, this is what it's like to be a, a second grader in school mm. and, you know, have to worry about the threat outside the door. And then also come to that realization that the people who are supposed to keep you protected are actually not really good at preventing an incident from happening. All of their training, all of their gear, all of their tech is about reacting to a problem. They're really, really good at responding to crisis, but we're really, really bad at preventing one. And what I'm really hoping that this, this, this disparity, this pendulum that keeps swinging from nothing's gonna happen to hypervigilance and overprotection is that you know, maybe we can now finally get the resources we need to come to the realization that being really good at preventing something or getting really good at responding to a threat is not the same as preventing a threat. Yeah, you know, it's 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 interesting. I mean, I think we all kind of I mean, I know your your background, you've managed massive events around the country before you've done all this stuff before. Um, and, you know, we come in a, in a post 9-11 era where you think we would be on alert for this stuff, especially for Congress. We had a, a mass shooting at a, a softball game not that long ago. Mm-hmm. This is it's a little scary to think. I mean, you know, luckily there wasn't, uh, you know, a mass, uh, you know, casualty event type of thing that happened today, obviously. But, you know, this there seems to be massive vulnerabilities here that are that have not been addressed so far. There's massive there's massive vulnerabilities. And one of the things that my book goes into is the safety traps that sort of allow these allowances to occur. And one of them is the safety trap of expectation. If you had gone up to like anyone on the street today and said, hey, what do you think the chances are of these like protesters actually like breaching the Capitol building? They'd have been like the the Capitol building in (laughs) Washington, D.C., in in America, like not going to happen. Zero. And yet it happened with such ease. Like it was there was there was actually a warning that it was going to happen. And they literally walked right in with no opposition whatsoever because there was this expectation that with the guards and the guns and the cameras that there's no way this could happen. And what they realized was that, oh, it's just it's just window dressing. This could have happened by anyone to anyone. Imagine if this had been like an armed revolt. Imagine if this wasn't a protest, but this was like an actual attempt at a coup. What kind of a position we would be in right now because we had this expectation that we were safe when actually we were insanely vulnerable. Yeah, there's those moments today watching TV. It felt like I was in that really chaotic part of Valkyrie where like everyone's scrambling around trying to figure out who's in control. If this was a real attempt to take over the Capitol and not just largely a bunch of, uh, you know, weird Internet personalities uh, doing it, it could have this could have worked out a lot differently. Um, this could have, I was uh, there, someone had a meme today where it was the end of uh, V friend V for Vendetta, where everyone in the Guy Pierce mask is just like walking past like all the armed security. And they're just like, well, OK, <laughs> it's like and I think the, the, the realization is that there's this this over reliance that we're, we're like all of the, the, the gear and the training and the tech that goes into responding to this threat. You're coming at it from a mindset. OK, um, I'm coming here to address this problem. But, you know, training is not the same as being tested. And so when you have this complacency where you have the safeguards that are in place and they've worked effectively for you every day that you've been there and they've they've always worked, you know, when everything is going really well, 
there's this there's there's this, there's this expectation that they're going to work really well the same way in a crisis. And the reality is there's a wide divide between policy and practice. And we have this expectation that our our practices will elevate in the face of crisis when actually they falter to the lowest level of, of applied practice. Uh, my eyes have been w opened wide on this one over the past year or so, because you go back to the summer, you have kind of the BLM protests and all that stuff that's going on. Right. And I was just fascinated. I mean, I get pulled over every time I go 10 miles an hour over the speed limit and there's people tearing down statues. There's people lighting targets and auto zones on fire all over the country. I mean, we were at a point where, where police officers were exiting police precincts so that people who were marching could burn them to the ground. Uh, I, are we just so wildly unprepared and just living in this world where we think our kind of our, our societal norms will protect us? What, what is going on? Well, I, part of it is mindset. We have for, for so long lived in a world where we simply hoped that nothing would happen and then solely relied on the first responders to save us when once something does. And now that we are being challenged, now that those defenses are being probed, what we are realizing is that, oh, the first responders aren't really good at responding. The first responders are really good at calling in the, re the reinforcements who can come in and help clean up this mess. But they're kind of just like the security theater window dressing deterrent factor that if challenged blows over quite easily. And then the National Guard or the SWAT teams or whoever, you know, is actually trained on, on the reactionary measure comes in to save the day. I know you read about this kind of conceptually in your book. I mean, should we be thinking of ourselves as the first responders? I mean, we well, need yeah. to be prepared, Everyday right? safety requires the participation of everyone. We, we can no longer, um, you know, uh, one of the things I, I express in the book is that a the number one risk or the most of us will live the rest of our lives, you know, free from harm. Mm -hmm. But the number one way to stay safe is to employ a healthy sense of skepticism and a moderate dose of vigilance. And just in your in your own essence, understand that you are your own first responder, that you are your 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 own authority. You are the, the best source of protection to keep you and your family safe should an emergency arise. Um, now, I know what my answer is on this. When, you, when you're talking about if you're going to a, 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 a rally that might turn into an event like this, my answer is always to not go because I don't like walking. Uh, but is it, if you are the type of person who's going to this and you realize something's getting out of control, what is the right thing to do? Do you just bolt and get yourself the hell away from there? Is, is right. It, what so it's like so even if you're going to like a, a movie theater or a sporting event, like it's great to go to the event, but like maybe sit on an aisle, maybe get as close to the exit as you can. Maybe no. Like, I, I love these these, you know, these threat guys who are like, here's 15 ways to bolt, use your belt loop to like keep this door <laughs> shut. And there's a window right behind them that they could easily uh. escape out of. It's like, mm -hmm. so sometimes just like, one of the methodologies I have always employed is awareness plus preparation equals safety. If you just operate under that basic framework, hey, listen, I'm aware that something could happen. And if something were to happen, this is where I would go, right? So that way you're you're mentally prepared for the physical activity that your body will incur. You reduce your level of anxiety. You reduce your level of risk. You're able to enjoy the event, which very likely nothing is going to occur. But if it does, you're mentally and physically prepared for the events that will keep you safe. At the end of the day, it's all about reducing risk and preventing violence and ensuring the certainty of safety for everyone involved. And that safety begins with you, the individual.
Well, I know I will never be mentally prepared for physical activity, but I'll take your word for it. Uh, Spencer Corson, threat, threat management expert, founder of the Corson Security Group and author of the upcoming book, The Safety Trap, a Security Experts Secrets for Staying Safe in a Dangerous World. It's coming out in May. Spencer, thanks so much for taking the time. Thank you, sir. All right, back in a second. Trying to buy or sell a home in these times can be challenging, particularly like if you're in Washington, D.C., like maybe near the Capitol building. That's why you need a real estate agent who is going to come in and take charge. They can, uh, I don't know, make sure that your home is in the best possible situation to get the most amount of money if you're selling it. Or if you're buying it, you can have the best price to purchase. What's the right area, especially like I, we know in this weird economy we're in, this sort of post-COVID, more uh, uh, still central COVID, I suppose, but soon to be post-COVID world, hopefully. Uh, people are moving around. They're taking new jobs. They're going to areas they don't know. How do you know what the best area is? How do you know what is the area where uh, maybe it's going to be, uh, they're going to be adding some cool shopping nearby and, and restaurants, and it might be a cool place to own a home. Or, or they're going to build some giant uh, factory that sells pork rinds and, and you know, switchblades. You might not want to live there. Realestateagentsitrust.com is the place to go to find an agent that does know that information. Get more information about this uh, whole system at realestateagentsitrust.com. Make sure your real estate agent has gone through a screening process. Realestateagentsitrust.com is the place to go. Realestateagentsitrust.com. Another insane day here on planet Earth. Joined now by Dan Andros, managing editor of Faithwire. Dan, thanks for coming on the program. Yeah, thanks for having me. You uh, started the day doing some live coverage on your YouTube channel with Faithwire, uh, going to uh, cover some, I don't know, boring vote counting, and it turned into a hell of a different experience. Yeah, we were really wondering what was going on because I was only expecting to be on for an hour or so to see kind of the the protests, you know, the the objections that were going that we were expecting. And then in the middle, um, I think it was La Senator Langford, I think, got cut off in the middle of his. They went to recess. Then they come back and he was like, they're like, you have two minutes left. He did two minutes and then they go to recess again. And we were like, OK, something's going on. And then all these reports started coming in and it was just it just got crazier as the day went on. Yeah, it really did. I mean, look, we, this has been a year of civil unrest. Uh, we, we've all kind of grown a little bit uh, comfortable, I guess, in, in seeing yeah. these scenes on television that I don't think I ever would have believed I would have seen. Fires and cities burning to the ground, people inside the, uh, the Capitol building. It's interesting to see how the media is handling it because they start out with this. They're totally over the top thinking this is the worst thing of all time. And I agree. It's really bad. Uh, on the other hand, though, there is this uh, it's tough to take from them. I mean, they just yeah. gave us six months of excuses as to why burning down targets was no big deal at all. Right. We have multiple uh, images and memes of MSNBC reporters pulling a, uh, a naked gun. That's nothing to see here. <laughs> Move along. And there's literally buildings burning behind them. So. Uh, they don't have any moral high ground here to sit here and condemn these. Uh, you know, I saw someone joking saying CNN le learned a new word today and they had the picture of a riot and the definition of it from the <laughs> from the dictionary. And it's true. Now, they're correct this time. I mean, I would label it the same way. You're breaking buildings. You're destroying property. You're going in there and being aggressive with uh, officers and, and basically advancing at them and with a with a mob of people. So I would agree with that assessment. But as you said, we just had to stomach six months of them talking about all the nuances and why this is so great. So it's 
it's very hard to take. And so, but I will say, Stu, there's hypocrisy on both sides. And so I try to be consistent. I know you try to be consistent. And I want to call a mob a mob. I mean, it shouldn't be that hard. But now you see people trying to justify the actions that are that are happening today. And, uh, you know, we should try to be consistent uh, no matter which argument you're more or which anger or frustration you're more sympathetic to. You still got to realize you can't cross the line and do this. It's just not going to help. Yeah. You know, I, earlier I brought up the, the point of of the Wisconsin situation where they occupied the state house, thousands of people in Wisconsin in 2011 when Scott Walker was trying to pass a stupid budget bill. Uh, and people immediately react and they say, oh, don't minimize what happened today. I'm not minimizing what happened today. I'm maximizing what happened then when you didn't care <laughs> about it. You know, yeah. it was it, this was a, this was a moment of like uh, it was almost like Woodstock in 2011 when when all of this went on. It's wrong to do. We are a civilized society, at least in theory. And you go down these roads and you have people on TV like in the one that keeps popping to my mind is Chris Cuomo, who's saying, whoever said a protest has to be peaceful. Whoever said that? Yeah. Well, first of all, it says that right. in the Constitution. Uh, but also, you know, it's hard to take from the media. The criticism is just absurd. And what are and what is our standard here? Um, and that's why I say it's important to be consistent, because I, the, the left has given up all grounds to say that this is bad because, as you've mentioned here, they Chris Cuomo, they spent the last six months telling us why these things matter, why, you know, there should be more unrest in the streets. Nancy Pelosi said she was wondering why there aren't more mm. uh, of these uprisings happening. So they value it when it's spurred on by a, a pet issue that they care about. And, and so what is it? Now, now you have people here. Isn't this some great heroic form of protest in their minds the, on the left? Don't they don't they view it as that? Um, if these people actually believe that the election was stolen from them, wouldn't this be uh, an act of their conscience and, a, and, and something that would be considered noble uh, by the by your own standard that you've set up because you failed to condemn those riots that time in spite of them happening to maybe agree with whatever political issue you're agreeing with? You should have condemned those riots. You should have been stronger on that. Uh, just like people on the right who condemned it then, you better be condemning it now or I don't want to hear you. Yeah, yeah, I, that's really important to me right now. I, there's less and less voices, I think, that are doing that. You mentioned the the moral high ground earlier, and I, it's something I'm fascinated with right now because there is this idea, and we we, we, we went to you know all the, the uh, rallies with Glenn over the years where yeah. hundreds of thousands of people would gather and they would leave the place cleaner than when oh. they got there. They, they were picking up trash in the middle of the rally. Uh, they were respectful uh, at, at, every, at every turn. And for years and years and years, we've been able to make the point that we, our, our rallies never turn into riots. That doesn't happen. Uh, no, look, and look. And here sorry, we are. I mean, I think we're, we seem to be in this quest to give up the high ground. Yeah. Yeah, look at the legacy of the Tea Party. When you look back on it now, yeah, the left joked about it. They they made jokes, but that's all they had. They didn't have anything of any actual substance. They tried. Uh, Stu, you and I remember it well. MSNBC tried so hard. Whenever somebody who was a 2A supporter would show up with a with a gun on their shoulder, they would try to paint this scary picture, uh, which hilariously, by the way, they would show a, a African-American you know, supporters at these tea parties and they would try to make a look at the scary black man with a gun. Uh, so a little bit racist back then. Uh, but uh, but the point is they tried to make it very scary. But as you mentioned, they not only were they not scary, they were very polite. And they hundreds of thousands of people in Washington, D.C. for uh, for Glenn's rally. And not a, you couldn't find a piece of trash on the ground. 
so far, you know, just a beyond reproach. And so that's the legacy of the Tea Party. You can't look back on that and say, wow, what a damaging effect that had on the country. Mm-hmm. You know, the left tries to, but they don't have any argument. But now, what's the legacy of this going to be if this kind of stuff continues? I mean, this is going to be a stain uh, on you know, it's going to be pinned on Trump and it's going to be pinned on Republicans yep. and it's going to be a tough one to get rid of. And this is why it's important to make sure we make the separation. This was not everybody at this rally. There were really good people right. who ra- who rallied and then left. This is not everybody. It's important to make that right. separation. Uh, Dan Andrews, managing yeah. editor of Faith Wire. Make sure to check out his site. Uh, thanks for coming on the program. Uh, coming up next. Uh, so this has been a crazy day. Uh, a couple of hours ago, I mean, way back. Do you even remember how old you were a couple of hours ago? Had an interview with Jason Buttrell uh, that we taped this morning before all this stuff uh, started. It's about the election and everything else. We're going to give you that here in just a second. And then we're going to get into Glenn's big special tonight coming up uh, at the top of the hour. Back in a second. I'm joined once again by Jason Buttrell. He's the head researcher and writer for Glenn Beck, who will be live tonight right after this with a new special, A Georgia Win in the Coming Conservative Reckoning. Jason, are you hungover today after watching the election? (laughs) Yes, I am. Very much so. I was actually so nervous, I switched over to your broadcast, your YouTube broadcast, right afterwards. Nice. And I was hoping for something. I thought you were going to give me something to hold on to. And I didn't get it. No. Yeah, I kind of saw some bad news there. I, 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 you know, as much as I kept looking at what vote was left as the, the, the night advanced, I mean, it wasn't impossible for Purdue to come back, but I, it just, you know, it just wasn't going to happen. It was just those. What's crazy about some of this? It just it boggles the mind. But when you look at these tight races, and you look at like, I remember looking at the uh, was the, the Virginia uh, gun votes when, mm-hmm. when that was all going on, mm-hmm. and the vast majority were all voting red. The vast majority of the country. Yeah. And then you look at these little pockets of blue. Yep. You know what I mean? Yeah. But those little pockets Lots govern the entire, they make the decisions for the entire state. It was the same uh, for, for Georgia. You look at the map, it, it basically looks all red. Yeah. Except these little bitty points. I know. I know. Well, you know, these population centers are, yeah. are liberal. We know that. Um, so, uh, uh, you know, and I guess we can, if we're going to do anything here, we just could give credit to Stacey Abrams for this amazing victory of hers. Oh, man. It's apparently what the media is doing. Put her on a candle, you know, yeah. and light it and, you know, and a shrine and everything. What's hilarious, even the Stacey Abrams stuff is so ridiculous. And right after the general election, people actually did a breakdown of what she actually did because they were singing her praises back then. Mm-hmm. They did a breakdown of what she actually accomplished. And they were like, well, not really anything at all. What she did in the state didn't really accomplish anything at all. It's absolutely insane how they're trying to elevate this woman to this grandiose stature. Um, Democracy Alliance, um, that's the George Soros, you know, big, huge, I don't like to say dark money, but they're their huge money filter. Um, they have been pushing her hard over the past two years. Yeah. They've been Why? having her, I don't know, they've been having her headline tons of events. They've been sending her in, not just in Georgia, but all states all over the South. Um, giving these big grand speeches. I have no idea, but we haven't seen the last of her. They are propping her up for Mm -hmm. something big. Not sure what it is. Yeah, they seem to like trying to make her out that she's like this get out the vote specialist. But the black vote was not overwhelming in Georgia. It was white suburban voters who wound up giving the state to uh, to Joe Biden and to in the Senate races, the same story was told. Yeah, it wasn't like this. They, they make it out like, oh, well, she was able to activate black voters to come out in ways they hadn't before. It's, it just doesn't show up in the data at all. Right. And, 
you know, I'm, I'm really worried. Speaking of, to honing in on the two Senate races, I am. It's kind of terrifying, really, if you look at it, especially if you live in the South, where you thought that you were safe from a lot of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, Texas, you're put on notice because this is kind of a look through, you know, the, the you know, the, the spyglass on your future, really. You think about, you know, the, the vast majority you were talking about, like the middle class white voters, they voted for basically a Marxist in Raphael Warnock. Mm-hmm. He preaches Marxism and socialism from the pulpit. And it's not hidden. You can go out there and look at it. We've we've put a lot of that stuff yeah. out on our network as well. We played it here. Yep. Uh, and it, you played it on Glenn's show, I know. Yeah, it's 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 out there. And the, the, back, you know, it was a 2008 uh, having a connection with uh, Jeremiah Wright could have been a death knell, you know, to, yeah. a, to a campaign. That was very, very damaging. And Obama smartly distanced himself yeah, sure. um, from mm-hmm. right. But Warnock didn't. Nope. He stopped talking about him for a little bit, but you couldn't take away every time. We, he wrote in his book, you know, that uh, and made several comments that the, you know, damn America speech or sermon was a, I think, quote, very fine sermon, yeah. or a very fine homily. Yep. He t- said both of those things. Yeah. And, and, and to be clear, that book came out in 2013, I believe. So remember that the, the Jeremiah Wright controversy was 2008. Yeah. This is five years, a lot of time to think about it. Um, and it's interesting because when people brought up Jeremiah Wright as it related to Barack Obama, it was called racist. Yeah. It was called uh, unfair, an unfair attack. Well, Raphael Warnock didn't feel it was an unfair attack. He embraced it. He said, yes, that is who I am. I agree with him. Exactly. And that gets him to the Senate in Georgia, 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 of all places. I, it's fascinating. And Ossoff is, you know, similar uh, in, in his disturbing levels. He's not as maybe as, as radical outwardly as Raphael Warnock, but he's also a guy who probably has more of a future nationally than, yeah. uh, than Warnock. He's the type of guy you could totally see the Democrats taking a guy like that and plucking him and to be a presidential candidate. The guy from the South, you know, he's a relatively good communicator. Uh, I know, as you mentioned several times, uh, really sexy, which I don't know why that's, that's <laughs> important to you, but I guess it could be important to some voters. I uh, never said that. Mm-hmm. Um, but Ossoff is, he is what you would expect this is he's what i expect from the current democrat party yeah so you have he's i think he's more in line of like an obama um and it mm-hmm. is i think uh, to, to make an example that how obama went out and criticized aoc uh i don't th- think he criticized her by name but criticized i think he said the young you know uh legislators that are saying stuff like defund the police yeah now he caveated that with don't say that Say something more in tune of this. Yeah. So what he was, he, he had a problem with language. He didn't really have a problem right. with what they're doing. Well, yeah. yeah. And, and, and Ossoff, I believe, is something like Warnock is in the, mo- I think, more of in the mold of like an AOC. Like they kind of just put it out there. Yep. Ossoff believes that, but he won't say that. Mm-hmm. He'll, he'll do a lot of hinting. He'll, he'll rub shoulders with a lot of those same people. But he won't just, he's a lot more careful in his words. I think it makes him more dangerous. Yeah. Right? I mean, on, on, on Ossoff's website, he talks about this. Um, massive new environmental infrastructure plan. <laughs> and it's like, well, that's just the Green New Deal, right, right? Right. But he calls it that, and people are like, oh, well, I like infrastructure. That sounds wonderful. Right. What are the ramifications of this? Like, where do we, what oh is my this? Because you're a guy, you've been on the show before, and we've talked about, you know, better times. <laughs> better times. And you've talked about your love for divided government, mm-hmm. right? Where there was, you know, even though, you know, obviously we all have our things that we want to get past, having checks and balances, having one side, everybody pushing against each other so not a lot gets done might be a good thing. 
here we are now in a situation where there isn't divided government. I mean, this is going to be Democrat, uh, Democrat, Democrat when the House, Senate and presidency. This is a scary place. It really is. And yeah, I'll further clarify that. Yeah, I hate government to the core. Um, I cannot stand it. I want it small. I want it ineffective. Yes. And I think that's what the, how the founders really built it. Um, they were like, OK, yeah, we'll have this legislative body, but let's cut it right in the middle. Let's have a high, you know, let's have a Senate and let's have a House so they can constantly fight and be at each other's throats. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. And then but let's have the executive, but let's have hamstrung them by, you know, uh, Congress. But then let's also have the court. So they're all, you know, like in this big old like pit bull match and no one's ever going to win. I love it. Um, so I'm for a divided Supreme Court. I'm for a divided uh, House and Senate. I'm, I'm for all of that stuff. Um, the ramifications for single uh, governments, it's, it's horrifying, it really is. Um, there's gentleman rules out there that um, kind of make it to where even if, you know, even within a, uh, a controlling, uh, you, know, say, you know, if Democrats are controlling the Senate or Congress or whatever, there's gentleman rules in there that even hamstring them. Uh, filibuster, um, 60 vote majority, things like that. I, I think those could go away. I know that uh, Harry Reid has been leading a, a, you know, a war room, quote unquote, what, he, what they called it, that include multiple members currently in the Senate. Um, their entire goal is to get some of these things done. Uh, filibuster was number one. Um, Electoral College, right on in there. Um, they are going for the jugular, I think. They're going to try. Yeah. The question is, will they get moderate Democrats to jump in on board with it because they're going to need that. I don't, I don't know if they have the leverage and push to do it, but I mean, if they don't, we could see radical change in this country. One of them was if they get those things done, creating two new states, Washington, D.C. is a state, Puerto Rico is a state. You do that. And I don't I don't know if Republicans ever get control of the Senate again, ever. You speak about these uh, moderate Democrats. They're like the R.O.U.S.s, right? The rodents of unusual size from, uh, from Princess Bride. I don't think they exist. Maybe there is one out there. Joe Manchin, I'm, I'm ready to throw $100 billion at them. Just uh, check $100 billion, oh. spend as you like. You can spend it on your constituents. You can spend it on yourself. You can buy yourself your own Epstein Island with hopefully of age women. Whatever you want to do. I've been banking my Bitcoin. <laughs> it's all yours, buddy. Forget my retirement. It. It's all yours. Oh, God. It's, it's just, it's unbelievable. Um, so, because I think like the thing that, I was thinking about this today. What do we focus on right now? There, there are lots of things to look at. You know, I know uh, you're going to be going through um, some of the, the cabinet people uh, that Joe Biden is going through, and that's really important. There's a lot of things that are important. That filibuster thing, though, is the end-all be-all to me. Yeah. Like, because once they get that done, and that is such a violation of even people like Joe Biden's institutionalism, right? Like, this is a guy who loves the Senate. He's been there for, like, 500 years. Um, you wouldn't think he'd be for this. He's entertained it. You know, he's entertained these things. Once you get that done, you can vote through all this other crap, the, the states and uh, the, uh, the, you know, um, more Supreme Court justices and all those things. That's the thing. They're going to be able to get a tax increase without doing that. But other than that, all this stuff is going to depend on um, being able to jam things through with 50 votes. Yeah. I don't know if they can do it right now, but once there's an incident, like you know, they want to control guns. Once there's like a mass shooting, God forbid, of some sort, they're going to get rid of that filibuster with the justification of we need to pass this gun legislation. We can't get it by these these Republicans. Yeah, this is scary. It is. And it, uh, it hits at how Republicans have just sucked uh, <laughs> for a long time. Yeah. But especially in between, like, say, November until last night. Uh, what, 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 were, what was the GOP doing in, in Georgia? 
Like, seriously, like... No, they, well, I mean, frankly, they were fighting about the presidential election, <laughs> which, again, I understand why that's important. But th- that was a... Th- the best possible argument in Georgia was to say this is going to be universal democratic government, House, Senate, and presidency. And the Republicans in Georgia couldn't make that argument publicly because the president would tweet at them about how he was still going to be president. And and they were all terrified of him. Yeah. And like, look, I understand why. Look, if I'm the president, I think I won this election. I'm going to fight for everything I I can. But it did not. This was not a helpful thing when it comes down to this election. Right. And then not choosing not to focus on certain things like Georgia. I don't remember guns being, you mentioned the guns. Yes. I don't remember that ever being in the discussion. Like you, you had people like Loeffler just wanting to like hit on some of like the tabloidy stuff. Yeah. Um, some of the things that were, disp- like, you know, like the, the wife thing, all that stuff. I, I don't know. No one really knows about that. I, it is an, it is the fascinating thing when you have one of the parties that says believe all women. I am fascinated about why they don't care about that. Oh, yeah. On their side, they don't care. They don't care. They, uh, not at all. Nope. But I mean, still, I mean, guns in Georgia, in the South generally, it's it's pretty bipartisan, really. That, that's, that sounds weird to say down here, yeah. especially if you live in another part of the country, which definitely not. But down here, it pretty much is. Everyone kind of want, they kind of like their Second Amendment rights, but they could have hit that easily. I mean, oh, you could have just destroyed both both candidates on that. You, you talk about if this goes to whether or not they're going to give up the filibuster or not, you could concentrate on some of those states. I think you talk about, you know, you asked, what do, what do we do from here? I mean, go to places like West Virginia, you know, mansion country, places like that. Um, he, his people aren't going to uh, green light giving up the filibuster, you know, if they're going to be taking away guns. I don't think Georgians would either. Um, I, 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 there's multiple other places around the country um, that are purplish that would probably agree with that. I don't. I think the GOP needs to concentrate. I mean. They've got to do everything right now to think about stop gaps. And those uh, type, I, I think pressuring states like that, like West Virginia, um, other states that are, are in that similar situation or scenario where, um, look, there's a Democrat in power, but you've got an election coming up. Putting pressure somehow on that, besides yeah. giving the Epstein Island and a ton of Bitcoin to Manchin just to flip sides and this <laughs> and that all goes far. away. I mean, I, I joke about that, but I, I wonder, like, one of the things that happened right before the election, and it was specifically targeted at Georgia voters, was this fake fight between Joe Manchin and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, where Ocasio-Cortez was like, oh, I'm mad at you for saying you won't do things like defund the police and, and target guns and all these uh, different issues. Um, and at Supreme Court justices, and then Manchin would go on TV and go, I'm not going to, I'm a man of my own, and I will not approve those things. You don't have to worry about that in Georgia because I'm going to stop it. How long does that last? Like yeah. a minute? You know, two minutes. The second the opportunity is there, I think Manchin goes that way, unless the Bitcoin works. <laughs> and I'm fine with that uh, being the solution. 35K today, Stu. Yeah, amazing. So. amazing. That's a whole other freaking story. We should actually do a whole other segment on that. Um, before we uh, go, tonight there's the big special on Georgia, and you're going to be going through all the ramifications there. Uh, you have kind of looking forward a little bit. Uh, you've been looking at some of these cabinet picks from the Biden administration. Uh, have you found, I mean, you don't have to give me all the research. I know this is coming out in, in, in is it a week or two? You're going to be doing a special next on Wednesday, this? yep. Okay. Uh, so it's next week. Um, well, have you found juicy stuff? I mean, is this as, as depressing as I feel it might be? I think, uh, yes, it will be depressing. Um, I think that we do have enough ammunition to at least 
show Republican senators to say when this stuff starts going for confirmation, ask these questions. I'm going to give some very specific questions to ask mm. um, directly. Um, if you ask these questions, if they're forced to a answer them, I do not see how you can confirm them. And if they don't answer them, I do not see how you can confirm them. Um, I'll just, do you have time? Can I throw like yeah, one little example mm -hmm. um, Secretary of State Tony Blinken. Mm. Um, he, I read this piece about him in the New York Times where, and everything around Biden is, oh, he's getting these centrists to bring everybody together. Yes. He was billed as this person that was going to bring foreign policy back to the center. That was the entire thing. Well, they didn't not once mention the fact that he has a lot of ties to the Ukraine scandal. Not once did they mention that. Multiple ties. I've got State Department emails and documents to show how just how involved he was. But he was right there in the middle of that mm. when that was going on. They didn't even mention that after he got out of government, he went to uh, he co-founded this little uh, consulting group called West Exec Advisors. They did not mention that whatsoever. Basically, what that was was peddling influence of people they knew in the government and trying to set up government contracts with a lot of uh, um, uh, government contractors, companies like Raytheon. Um, actually, they haven't, they haven't confirmed that that is one of their clients. But at the same time they're doing that, they were holding massive foreign policy uh, meetings and saying uh, to liberal uh, foreign policy heads, um, no, no, we, let, let, let's keep arming uh, the Saudis in Yemen. Let's keep doing that. But just let's just give them Patriot missiles, not deadly weapons. Well, it basically sounded like a huge commercial for Raytheon. Um, mm. they, now, they again, you ask them if in, in a confirmation, who are some of these clients that you were, uh, uh, you know, that you were, you were representing, mm. that stuff will come out. Because he can deny it to the public, but he can't deny it in the hearing. In the hearing. Uh, not, not only that, but foreign companies as well. Like, who were, who were you peddling influence for for foreign companies? That stuff needs to come out. Mm. And it's no surprise that they call themselves a consulting firm, not a lobbying firm, because then they would have to register <laughs> under FOIA. Right. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that will come out about Blinken. And I'm actually uh, chomping at the bit to let that out. Because right. I think that, uh, I, I seriously think that if some of these questions are asked, he's gone. Mm, very interesting. Jason Buttrell, he's a head writer and researcher for Glenn Beck. Uh, thanks for hanging out uh, today. Uh, tomorrow, uh, well, it's actually tonight, we have the Glenn's uh, live special, 9 p.m., right after this program. Uh, it will uh, a Georgia win and the coming uh, conservative reckoning. And then tomorrow, uh, next week, as we go on through this, they're on the radio and on, on uh, Blaze TV here. Of course, we'll get into this, the cabinet picks for Joe Biden. BlazeTV.com slash stew is the place to go to not only get uh, the Blaze TV subscription, but research to all the Glenn Beck shows going back with all these old research projects. A lot of them go back. They're just as valid today as they were uh, a few months ago when they aired. Check it out. BlazeTV.com slash stew. Promo code is stew. Thanks, Jason. Back in a second. What a crazy day. So much we didn't get to. Uh, stay tuned for Glenn Beck's live special coverage coming up in just a minute. It's chaos at the Capitol and the way forward after Georgia. We'll see you tomorrow for a brand new episode. Uh, we'll get into all sorts of stuff uh, because there is more happening. Uh, make sure you subscribe at blazetv.com slash stew. The promo code is stew. You can save 10 bucks when you sign up. Not only do you get uh, this show every night. You also get Glenn's show. You get the radio show every single day, which is great as well. And then, of course, all the other great people on Blaze TV. This is a day you're going to remember for a long time, I imagine. And there's so much more to make sure that it's put in perspective. Glenn's going to be doing that here in just a second. We'll see you tomorrow.